Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined today, as always, by my brother, Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And uh, he is back in the state of Pennsylvania. I am in the state of South Dakota. We're excited to have you joining us here today. Uh, don't forget, check out our show website, which is trdshow.net. We got a list of links to all the many platforms that we are located on. Um, so check out our website. And again, I uh, do have to put out a quick disclaimer. We've been doing this for the past three episodes because just in case there happen to be weird technical glitches or things don't sound right or they're not turning out well, we are still in the process of sorting out some problems. I really hope I don't have to make this disclaimer next week. <laughs> really hoping that they're able to fix this because it's it's driving everyone involved a little crazy. So <laughs> let's hope that uh, some of these things get resolved. So please, please bear with us. We're so, so sorry for any technical uh, glitches um, you might experience. But uh, rest assured that we're working as hard as we can to get a lot of this uh, fixed and hopefully restored back to normal, hopefully by next week. Let's let's hope. Um Send us an email, though, if, if it's been frustrating the heck out of you, or if you haven't even noticed it and you're like, you know what, I didn't even know that there was a problem, so you don't even need to say anything. Hey, we'd love to get that email. That would be great if one of you out there wants to do that. Send your emails, particularly those kinds, to trdshow at protonmail.com, and uh, we would be just overjoyed to hear that from you. <laughs> uh, also, sign up for our newsletter, trdshow.net slash newsletter is where you can go to do that today. And if you haven't done that already, you are missing out. Uh, I mean, seriously missing out on some great stuff. So make sure you do that. Uh, all right. So today is Literature Wednesday. We're going to get right into this. We have so much to talk about. We are going through Restoring the Foundation of Civilization by Gary DeMar. Now, this week, we're going through Chapter 7. We went through Chapter 6 last week. Now we're doing Chapter 7. And there's so much there to talk about. Um, Gary DeMar is kind of expanding on the civil government, and uh, more specifically, how the civil government relates to the church um, and morality. So we're going to be touching on a lot of uh, uh, really good stuff, but also touchy stuff, stuff that could get controversial really quickly, we hope. Um, <laughs> we're not here to pick fights, but occasionally, if uh, that ends up being the way that things go, we we have no problem with that. Um so we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to get into, but before we get into all of that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week, and it's Wednesday, so of course, I'm going to pass it over to Jake to do just that. Alrighty, and our verse this week is Isaiah 52, 7, and it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And um, while going through this verse, um, this will be very similar to what Bruce did on Monday. But when I saw this verse, it's really what I could think of. It's what stands out the most. And I think it's the reason that we chose this verse. But when I see this verse, I wanted to go to Romans 10, 15. And Romans 10, 15 says, And how, are, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And specifically, it says down lower, um, brings the gospel of peace. 
um, and how it ties in that what we're talking about here is the gospel. Both both verses here are talking about the gospel, right? And how this verse ties directly into saying the gospel and the people who talk about the gospel should be saying your God reigns. And that mm. this is this is what it's talking about. It's talking about the reign of God. It's talking about God's kingdom. And as Bruce have Bruce and I have talked about, and we d- did an entire episode of talking about the true gospel versus the limited gospel, and that the the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. It's not just good news. It's the good news of what, and that that is the kingdom. Um. So you know, aside from beating a dead horse, that's that's what that is. Um, but um, I wanted to talk about a little bit of what this means, your God reigns, and and say, how, what does that look like? What is that like? Um, to which Bruce actually brought up Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, he had mentioned to me. And so I thought I would bring this in. Um, and, that, and that verse says, for, for to us a child is born, to us his son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And just all the language you're talking about how God will reign and what this reign is. And currently, and as Bruce was saying, we are currently in this reign. This We are in the period of time that this reign is going on. And we're talking about a, we're talking about a reign where God affects the government. It's talking about both here of the increase of his government and saying, and the government shall be, be upon his shoulder. Um, so basically God controls and works through and sorry, controls the government and the government is his servant. So I thought I would touch on that and talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, very timely for what we're going to be discussing today. So cool. Thanks for diving into that and pulling that up, Jake. Really appreciate it. Um, so I, I have a few I have a few sections as as I always do. This chapter was a little harder to categorize, and it was a little more difficult to fit things into categories. Um, it was a big chapter based primarily around the First Amendment. Um, so obviously we're going to be trying to pull out themes and key concepts and core ideas and principles from this chapter. So as with every chapter, every week, we always say this and we really mean it. We want to urge you to get this book yourself and read through this yourself, because there's no way we're going to touch on literally everything that we could talk about uh, in this chapter, because there's just so much here. So we're trying to pull out key details, key core concepts. And so what you're about to hear today is us doing or attempting to do that, what we picked up on from the chapters, the core principles and concepts. So I, one of my overarching themes that I was gathering from this chapter was that biblical civil government is decentralized and informed by the word of God. So 
that makes sense, right? Biblical civil government is decentralized and is informed by the word of God. So right at the onset of this chapter, Gary DeMar says, um, and this is on uh, pages 80, or this is page 85, Gary DeMar said, decentralizing the authority and power of governments has a long history going back to the Old Testament. And then right after that quote, he spends the next two pages, pages 85 and 86, laying out several Old Testament examples. So I would highly encourage you to check some of those out. Check out some of the examples that he lists there um, because they're really good examples. And especially if um, you're talking to someone and they don't believe that the Bible talks about or pertains to civil government or has anything to say about civil government. These two pages are really good at debunking that that lie, that heresy, because the Bible has a lot to say. God cares very much about how we structure our civil governments. <clears throat> um, page 86, Gary DeMar said, in biblical terms, there was never such a jurisdictional separation between church and state that the state was free from God's law. Deuteronomy 17, verses 15 through 20. Both priest and king were required to sit before the law to be instructed, end quote. And then what we see, um, in addition to that, he goes on on the same page, page 86, to talk about the, the priests and the judges. So the judges were required to know the law the same way the priests and the kings and the rulers and all the different levels of authority, that civil authority that God ordained in Israel they were all required to know biblical law, to understand biblical morality, to understand true justice, God's justice, and to be able to implement it in their various offices. So that is a common theme that came up all through this chapter and really comes up all through the Old Testament. Um, page 100, uh, Gary DeMar said, Today's Christian political activists are not calling on the state to establish churches to force people to attend church or to pay for the work of the church. They are simply maintaining that we cannot have good government without a moral foundation, and that moral foundation resides in the Christian religion, end quote. So just like how we spent so much time last week talking about how you cannot have neutrality in terms of the civil government, you can't have a morally neutral civil government. And our current civil government likes to pretend that it's secular, which is false, that that doesn't exist. That's not a thing. You just created your own religion and you're worshiping a false God. Um, in the same way, our laws, the way we structure our civil government, all of it is not morally neutral. We talked about how there's the lie out there. Well, you can't legislate morality. That's a lie. Everyone legislates morality. It's just a question of whose morality are you going to legislate? That's the question we should be asking. Because right now, it's their morality that's getting legislated, almost unquestionably. All right, so <clears throat> that's my first section. It's kind of a restating of everything we talked about last week. So hopefully that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'll move into my next one. And then after that, I think I'll pass it to Jake to talk about a totally different section, which is fascinating. Um, so I have three quotes under this heading, but my... my core principle that I derived, that I pulled out of this chapter, one of them was, historically, America's civil governments saw no, pro no problem supporting Christianity. Historically, America's civil governments saw no problem supporting Christianity. Page 97, Gary DeMar said, 
uh, as president, Jefferson included a prayer in each of his two inaugural addresses. He signed bills appropriating money for chaplains in Congress and the armed services and signed the Articles of War, which not only provided for chaplains, but also earnestly recommended to all officers and soldiers diligently to attend divine services, end quote. It doesn't get much more religious than that. And these are the people... Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Just added on to that. Jefferson was the one who coined the phrase separation (laughs) of church and state. Right. Yeah, that's then what Jefferson I was... goes and does this, which yep. is completely against what we now have as the definition of that, yeah. that state. The idea that we think he had. Yeah. But yeah, but that's obvious, as we can see from this, that's not what he meant by that statement. Yeah. And this is a really good setup for the rest of our conversation today, talking about the First Amendment, because so many people today uh, twist the First Amendment to mean that. Uh, we are supposed to separate the church from the government in terms of what the church believes and what the civil government believes. Not as two separate entities and two separate spheres of authority. No, no, no. Go farther than that. The the civil government can't believe or support the same things that the church believes and supports. Um, As an example of that, earlier this uh, week, this previous this past week um my quartet group that i play with string quartet um we had a concert at a local public library i don't think i told you about this jake but um i was the one who was in charge of creating the flyers so i put out you know the flyers put it together i used psalm uh 95 verse 1 on the flyer and looked really nice and you know did this nice write-up and everything the public library refused to use our flyer because I had the verse on the flyer. They said, you have to take that off or we're going to rip it off uh, before we publicize it. So that's what they did. I, you know, I was like, no, 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 we're not, we're not taking that off. And so they just, they took it off and publicized it without it. That's a really good indication um, or a really good example of them saying, no, 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 you're not even allowed to represent those beliefs you're not even it's not even i'm not obviously representing a church i'm representing christianity in that case right and here they're saying no no no. you're not even allowed to represent your own religion you're not even represent allowed to represent christianity and meanwhile their belief their religion secular humanism uh that we came from monkeys Oh, that's fine. We can propagate that all the live long day. That garbage, that insanity. Um, but the the absolute truth from the God of the, the creator of the universe? Nah, you, you can't have that. You can't even have one verse on a flyer. So Yeah, and it's so okay, I think from there, was it it was a public library, was it funded mm-hmm. by the government? Well, know? it's a public library, so I the the beyond that i don't know cuz i would assume they were you know they were using it under the pretense of the establishment clause um that the that the government cannot establish a religion and so therefore they can't post anything that would have a bible verse on it because then they would be establishing a religion or they were supporting a specific religion <laughs> um but even so yeah. you're the one which we're going to get into that 
Right, you're the one right. supporting it, not not the the um library. The library is just a venue that happens to have you there. But they're yep. not the one they're not the one promoting the the Bible verse. They're the one letting you be here, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, just just total insanity all around. Um but I do want to add two more quotes. And these quotes in light of what I just said and in light of the life we live every single day in this country. These quotes will be I think really sad. They they show us how far we've fallen as a country. Um it's a stark contrast to the the depravity um of our country today. <clears throat> Page 98, Gary DeMar said, all 50 state constitutions mention God using various designations such as supreme ruler of the universe, creator, God, divine goodness, divine guidance, supreme being, Lord, sovereign ruler of the universe, legislator of the universe, with almighty God as the most common biblical phrase. The Declaration of Independence points out that our rights are an endowment from our creator, from whom we get certain inalienable rights, that is, rights that cannot be taken away from or given away by the possessor, end quote. Yeah, we are so far from that today. It's insane. Uh, a little further down on page 98, Gary DeMar said, On March 16th, 1776, by order of Congress, a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer was instituted and the people of the nation were called on to acknowledge the overruling providence of God and bewail their manifold sins and transgressions, and by a seer repentance and amendment of life, appease his righteous displeasure and, through the merits and meditation of Jesus Christ, obtain his pardon and forgiveness. End quote. That was March 16th, 1776, by order of Congress. That was supposed to be a day of prayer and repentance as a nation before God. That's just, that's incredible that we used to have that. But we unfortunately don't today because as goes the church, so goes the, so goes the culture. If our church yeah. is effeminate, if our church is full of weak-willed men who refuse to preach the full counsel of God. If our church is full of people who, A, don't study the full word of God, and B, believe that all they have to preach Sunday morning is a limited, truncated, basic, simplistic salvation message that doesn't call people to transform their lives and society, then of course you are not going to transform your life or society. If our churches aren't teaching you how to apply all of Christ to all of life, then of course the people in that church and by extension the rest of society will not know how to apply all of Christ to all of life. And so you get the moral degra degradation, you get the moral relativism that we have today, and you get the collapse of modern civilization. And here we are. So with that, I'm going to pass it over to Jake. Um, he has a whole section that he wants to talk about. And then I want to end our conversation today by talking about a conversation on the First Amendment, and we'll cut that kind of short depending on how much time we have left sure. at the end. So take it away, dude. Alrighty. And so not necessarily in contrast, but 
um, to talk about what this actually means and what we're actually talking about when we were talking about separation of church and state and how this really is saying the state needs to not be involved in any of the other governments and needs to not take away the powers and the the right sorry powers and the jobs and the duties of each government and so Gerdmar on on these pages that I'm going to be talking about brings up multiple examples in the Bible in which the king took away the roles of the church and used them for himself and what kind of what God did to them because of that. Um, these these three examples are all found on page 87. Um, so I'm probably not going to say the page number, but just so you know, it's all on page 87, these first three. Um, and the first quote is, King Saul assumed the duties of the priests when he offered sacrifices. He stepped out of out of bounds from his kingly duties. And he gives a verse, verse reference, uh, which is 1 Samuel 15, 9 through 15 and 22. Um, also on page 87, he also says, King Jeroboam established his state religion in Bethel and Dan. Non-Levites of the worst character were appointed to serve as priests, and that is 1 Kings 12, 26-31. And just in these first two verses, you can see how the, how the, the kings got involved in the jobs and duties of the church, and how that's not good, not right. This, these are not the right duties for, for the king to be doing. And how even when King Jeroboam established his state religion, um, and he established them in Bethel and Dan, and he appointed Levites of, sorry, non-Levites of terrible character of, and terrible people, um, and made them serve as priests. And so, and those were the people doing the sacrifices and stuff. So they were the they were the embodiment of the, the Christians, really, um, when they were sacrificing. So, and we move on, still on page 87. Um, and Gary DeMar says, Then there's the incident of King Uzziah, who crossed the boundary in a seemingly minor way, but was judged harshly. Uh, and this is Second Chronicles 26, verse 16. Um and Gary DeMar goes into what uh, King Uzziah did, and I'll, I'll continue with that on page 88. Uh, Gary DeMar says, Uzziah ignored God's law and acted corruptly and was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Um, and so he was punished harshly, uh, I think, uh, Gary DeMar goes on to explain that he was judged with leprosy. He was given leprosy, which hmm. was the worst disease of that time. Uh, and so and so he was ripped off of the, the kingly position <clears throat> and quarantined like they did in that time. But punished so harshly for going into the temple and offering incense. Because it wasn't his job to do. He was inserting himself into the roles of the church. And so therefore, God 
judged him. And yeah. we should see that that's what is going to happen today in our in our day and age, that the government is so involved in the church's business that, you know, they're making all these rules, making all these laws that really the church should be putting on people, not the government. The government shouldn't be doing this. The church should be the one saying to these people and teaching them the right way to live. Um, my last and final quote, and I'll give it back to Bruce. He probably has a few more quotes to do before we end. But this quote is found on page 89. Gary DeMar says, The church can deny its prophetic ministry when it is seduced by po politics. That is, seeing politics as the sole way to advance God's kingdom. Isn't this what happened when the people wanted to crown Jesus as king to make him their political ruler? John 6, 15. Um, so in this, Gary Damar is showing that the church then is trying to win through politics. The church is not using their roles, not using what they're supposed to do in order to bring in order to advance the kingdom. And so it doesn't work. People get enraged when it doesn't work. As we see, Jesus was killed because he wasn't going to be their political ruler. Hmm. And it wasn't the way that they wanted it to be. So hand yep. back over yep. to Bruce. Yeah, great points, Jake. Thanks for, for bringing those up. Um, so a kind of overarching overarching this whole conversation was the 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 a further breakdown of the first amendment gary demar spent a lot of time in this chapter i would say half to three quarters of this chapter breaking down the first amendment and there's there's a lot there because what's fascinating is that the 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 gist of it the brunt of this um study into the first amendment re returns with this First Amendment was meant to protect the people from a, a an ever growing federal government. This was a first this amendment was meant to restrict heavily the federal government. Because as we'll see shortly, this First Amendment does not um pertain to the state governments, state civil governments. This this First Amendment pertains to Congress. And Gary DeMar makes that point very clear and, and pulls that up several times. Um, so we'll get into the motivations behind that a little later, but keep that in mind as we as we go through. On page 90, Gary DeMar said, the, the prohibition in the First Amendment is addressed and exclusively, uh, I'm sorry, is addressed exclusively to Congress, individual states and governmental institutions, e.g. public schools, capital buildings, steps, national parks, etc., are not included in the amendment's prohibition. As, uh, as clear as this is, some try to rewrite the First Amendment to fit their misconceptions about its meaning and implementation. End quote. Um, page 91. I'll just keep going. Page 91, Gary DeMar said, there is a second part to the religion clause of the First Amendment that states that Congress cannot prohibit the free exercise thereof. In a June 19, 2000 ruling by the Supreme Court, the majority of justices outlawed student-led prayer at high school sporting events. For example, a teacher of political science and constitutional law at Agnes Scott Co College in uh, Dakotor, Georgia, 
uh, in support of the court's decision, never quotes the clause that mandates that there can be no prohibition of the free exercise of religion, end quote. So there are a lot of words there, but hopefully all that was up on screen. It'll be easier for you, for you to digest some of those. But again, this is meant for Congress. This is meant for a large federal government not creating, this is meant to keep them from creating a state religion on the federal level. It does not prohibit states from doing that, which is right. Because then you can go from state to state, move around like that, right? Um, and we can discuss the the biblical aspect, and I think we should. You know, how biblical is it for a state to create a state religion? I don't know how biblical that is. But I think it makes a lot more sense for that to be left up to the states than for the federal government to be in control of it. And, oh, guess who else did? Yeah. Uh, the Founding Fathers as well thought that too. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I'm in fairly decent company. Um, so page 92, Gary DeMar said, when the constitution was sent to the states for ratification, there was fear that the new national government had too much power. It was proposed that prohibitions should be listed in the constitution to restrict further the national government's power and authority, end quote. Hence, the First Amendment and the following amendments. Uh, finally, page 23, sorry, 93, Gary DeMar said, some of the framers were concerned that the federal government would establish a national church, i.e. Anglican, Presbyterian, or Congregational, to be funded by tax dollars and controlled by the newly formed government. The First Amendment was designed to protect the states against the national federal government, end quote. And then finally, I'll end with another quote on page 93 where Gary DeMar said the amendment was not designed to make all religions equal, but only to make all Christian denominations equal in the eyes of the constitution and the law, end quote. So that's really quick breakdown of some of the highlights of what Gary DeMar talked about in this chapter. There's so, so much there. If you haven't already purchased a copy of this book for yourself, you should totally do that. Pause the video. What the heck are you doing? Get a copy of this book. It's, it's a great book. Um, <laughs> and uh, read the rest of this because there's so there's so many more details and historical accounts and letters and historical documents. And he just does a tremendous job bringing in so much um, research to this. So check it out for yourself. Anything you want to add, Jake, before we end today? I mean, thinking about this historically, <clears throat> why would the why would the framers feel a need to put this in? Um, and because they came off of a fight with England where England was establishing a national religion. It was switching between Protestant and Catholic and all these other religions between each of the kings and each of the queens. And so they wanted to defend against that. But that's the whole point. They, they, want, they didn't want the government establishing that. It doesn't matter if the church kind of establishes a religion. Um, and the church should, right? That's our command from the Bible that we should go there for and preaching to the nations, teaching the nations, teaching each of the states, making them the disciples around us. Yeah. And yeah, making disciples of all nations. Yeah. Um, and so, again, thinking about that historically, what was going on at that time for them to make this? And it gives us a little bit of yep. perspective as to what this actually means. 
So, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, don't forget to check this out for yourself. Thank you all so, so much for watching or listening to us today. Our show website is trdshow.net. Check it out. Send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And you do not want to miss our Friday episode where hopefully we'll have a special guest joining us this week. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. Mm-hmm.